The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my friend Chris Dow. Kent's Strangest Tales. And my other friend Minty Booth. The Timeline of History. And we are chatting about our very favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into the final of our final amendments, we'd like to give a last orders call for our Patreon, etc. I mean, it's not quite last orders because we've still got many more episodes in our brains to record in the future. But the future of the show is very much in the hands of you lovely listeners. We will be changing up the format at the end of this season, so stay tuned for details on that. But if you'd like to have a hand in how we steer this ship, then you can get involved by becoming a Patreon subscriber of the show. Not only will your financial contribution help considerably with how we proceed, but you'll also get exclusive access to the O3C Discord server, where you can chat with us, the other Patreon subscribers, and our amazing array of special guests from previous seasons of the show. You can give us suggestions and hatch plans with us over what you want to see and hear on the future of this very podcast. We cannot overstate how immensely grateful we are to the Patreon subscribers we have, and we also can't overstate how important it is to help us continue with the show. So if you are enjoying what we've been doing for the last three and a bit years, please do consider heading over to patreon.com slash O3C games and pledging even as little as £4 a month to help keep us afloat. Or if subscribing isn't your bag, you can head over to our website, O3C.games, and once you've done gorging yourselves on our articles, reviews, and amazing videos, you can check out the support page where you can find a one-off PayPal donation button if you want to throw us a few pence or a few pounds. It's a one-off thing to say, thanks very much. I'd like to see and hear more of this. What's that? Majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with the sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sale for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your display armada. So, I mean, we're, we're right at the end now. This is it. This is, the, this is our last, last amendment. It's my last amendment. What on earth am I going to crowbar into my list? Probably just like a bit of tat. Some old rubbish. A movie tie-in tat, a Netflix game to go out with a, with a little butt. Before we dive into that, and even before we talk about what we've been playing this week, there, there is a point of order outstanding from there last is, week's episode because there is Jonathan Dunn <laughs> when I was listening back to last week's episode I also realized caught up in the excitement of talking about my new favorite game of all time Tetris Effect you put it in your list you didn't fucking take anything out I know you, you broke the only rule Rude. this season. I, know. I did I did I did <laughs> I uh yes it was my own flagrant and probably indeed fragrant uh flouting of the rules I was very, very quick to add Tetris Effect into my list, but 
I did neglect to single out a game to be omitted. So before we begin today's episode, let me do that. And whilst I've always slightly turned my nose up at grouping series of games together to form uh, a single entry in top 100 lists, I found my peace with it. Uh, (laughs) It's become necessary. (laughs) It's become necessary, let's be honest. I mean, when it comes to certain entries in a saga... There are some some games that you can talk about in the same sentence. Very often sequels to games can eclipse previous entries. Sometimes a single entry in a series can represent past and future entries like Pokemon Gold being like the talisman of that series. So with that mindset, I'm going to take out Thief Deadly Shadows. For even though I think it is a very, very special game, I think it's fantastic. I think it does stand on its own two feet, especially in delivering a, a real series high point in... Uh, the cradle level, which is still the scariest thing I've ever played. Thief 2 is still a better game overall. So I'm taking out Thief Deadly Shadows and I'm making room for Tetris Effect. Good. Happy? Fair, fair. Great. What have we been <laughs> playing this week? Easy. <laughs> I've continued on my Sonic Odyssey, you'll be pleased to know. I played through the absolutely outstanding Sonic 3 and Knuckles. It is by far the best of those original games. I did return to Sonic CD, and it is a hateful game. It is, <laughs> it's, it's very much the Temple of Doom of the Sonic games. It doesn't come from a nice place. It's mean-spirited and made with vomit in its soul. I did have another few cracks at the final boss of Sonic 2, that absolute stupid bitch. I got so angry I was in risk of snapping my switch in half, uh, so I just focused my energy and emotions on having a brilliant time playing through a legitimate masterpiece, which is Sonic 3 and Knuckles. It's not without the occasional chug nut of bullshit. (laughs) Carnival Night Zone has a whiff of the unfair about it. Some of the later Blue Sphere special stages are a tad unfair, but I stand by what I said last week. It does feel like a next generation game when compared to Sonic 1, 2 and CD. If Sonic Team had held off and released Sonic 3 and Knuckles as a launch title for the Saturn, yeah. I think only good would have come from that, to be honest. But yeah, there we go. Yeah. Sega lived and learnt. And by learnt, I mean filed for bankruptcy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I did uh, have a bit of a dabble with the new mission modes in Sonic Origins, and they're good fun. So I'll probably enjoy dipping in and out of them uh, in between other things. I did make good on my threat from last week and cracked out my steam deck to emulate sonic advance which was excellent yeah no doubt limited by the cartridge space but it is a very very short game uh, which i think was why i was initially a bit disappointed with it when it first came out because i bought it on a cartridge finished it in about an hour probably it's not long i also played sonic advance 2 because that is also quite short. I also thought there was a bit of a step backwards uh, in terms of uh, the Sonic Advance games, because they they implemented this thing with all the bosses that are just stupidly... They're not like um, auto-scrollers. It's not, it's not quite that, but it may as well be, because you're basically always running and the boss is always hovering just it, it it doesn't what it basically it's a shit shit idea and every single boss uses it and it it's it just kind of yeah they're just really similar and annoying. But Sonic Advance 3, which I don't think I've quite finished yet, is really, really great. It's huge as well. Like, really big, big game. Each zone has a sort of, like, a hub area. Sort of like some of those early Kirby games where, like, you have to go and find the entrance to the individual acts. It's just huge. All the levels itself are big. They're really, really well well designed. It's just really good fun. Like, a really good collection of games. And I think would be really nice for 
a remaster. But whilst I was in that emulation mode, I did boot up the Master System Sonic game, which I had as a kid, <laughs> just to compare it. Of course. Obviously, why not? It's it's still a, an impressive game. It's good fun. I mean, the Master System, just, I don't know what it's powered on. Rice, maybe? I don't know. It's <laughs> not much. Obviously, there's a lot of concessions made versus the Mega Drive game. Uh, the frame rate is all over the place. I mean, yeah. it is. It screeches to a halt at times. But because I was emulating it, I could like rewind and fast forward as much as I needed to to take the edge off all of those things. And I really enjoyed playing through it again. It's, it was a nice little trip down memory lane. Obviously, I'm on a bit of a Sonic binge at the moment. Where are we going next? So I'd like to introduce you to my pet hedgehog that I adopted this week. No, I didn't really. <laughs> I did watch the new Sonic movie uh, this morning, which I was really, really fond of. Uh, I like those. I hope they make more. And I have been playing Sonic Generations on the Steam Deck as well, which I'm yeah. also, I'm really fond of that as well. I really like it. And I have actually played a few more hours of Xenoblade Chronicles 3, which I, I, I have been really enjoying. I've, I've forgotten just how much I actually love that that world and just the tone of those games. It's, it's, it's very earnest, but still has room to be silly. Great characters. And yeah, I, I know that I've got a really big, incredible story and adventure in, in store. So yeah, I'm glad I've made a proper start on that. And I am still playing Monster Hunter. <laughs> what have you guys played? <laughs> Not trying to become a, uh, a Sonic fan cast here. <laughs> I too have played a little chunk of Sonic Origins. I've not played anything crazy like you, Jonathan. I haven't played 500 Sonic games because I only have so many hours in my day. But I have played through Sonic 1. And for the most part, I have to say, I don't dislike it anywhere near as much as you did on your revisit. I didn't, I didn't dislike it. But... You just called it a cunty game. <laughs> that is true. That now, is true. I agree. It's not always the most fun. But <laughs> I think part of that is because it's a strange game in that playing it now after seeing kind of the Sonic franchise you know, develop over 30 years, essentially, it feels a bit of a bait and switch because Green Hill Zone at the beginning famously sets up that whole got to go fast mentality. You're sprinting through it. And then as soon as you hit Marble Zone as the second stage, everything mm. slows right down. Yeah. And it never really picks up again at any point in the game. And yeah. it really changes from being kind of that first quick showcase level to the rest of the game being a lot more plodding and kind of exploratory. And I think playing it in Origins, one of the biggest problems is that by adding the spin dash into Sonic 1 in the remake via the anniversary mode, you really expose that shift time and time again because mm. your modern appreciation of Sonic is telling you to start every motion with a spin to maximize yeah. your speed. And if you actually play it as it was designed in 1991 by its original kind of design document, it's a lot more plodding. And you didn't have that ability to just zip off from a standing start. So yeah. I think a lot of the bad rap it gets is because people fall into bottomless pits or fall onto spikes or get sprung backwards. When if you play it as it was kind of intended back then in that sort of reality, it's just that we've transitioned how we play Sonic now in 2022. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. the biggest issue. But I do agree the special stages are absolute bunk. <laughs> because even if Horrid. this remake in the anniversary run at least smooths out the rotation to dial back a bit on like the motion sickness the original could cause, it's mm. just, they're not fun. They're not fun. It no. was definitely improved, you know, every game onwards from that point. How do you think a Sonic Maker game would go down in the style of Super Mario Maker? I think it would go down pretty well because there is such a big fan community online who are making sonic fan games and yeah. modding old roms and all this sort of stuff on on like a daily basis and i think there's a lot of people there that have lived through years of enjoying sonic through its ups and downs and it could probably make some really cool stuff so you know if sega want to just license that out to nintendo at some point to yeah to put out yeah i think it could be a really solid property 
I would absolutely make a Sonic game for you to play. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Carrying on with the idea of revisiting old games, I have been playing a pair of Tony Hawk's games on the Steam Deck. Firstly, I played a chunk of Project 8 via PlayStation 3 emulation. And it was a bit of a black sheep Tony Hawk's game at release. It was closest, I guess, in its design to the Underground games, but mm. it was the first one to be plonked into a new next-gen engine at the time. And it made things feel a bit different, a bit heavier, whilst Neversoft kind of got the hang of what the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 could do. I played a lot of this game back on the 360, and I've got particularly fond memories of touring with the band I was in at the time and using our drummer's flat in London as like a base between shows. And we'd wake up quite late after getting back at like two or three in the morning after a show, play Project 8 and then the first Gears of War all day <laughs> and then leave the place to go and drive up the country to wherever our next show was. Yeah. Then we'd, we'd get paid peanuts, we'd have a kebab shop dinner and then repeat the process. And in a week or so, we'd beaten Gears of War in co-op on basically every difficulty whilst eating just a hundredweight of custard creams because we had no money <laughs> and that was all we could afford. And we also trounced almost every goal in Tony Hawk's Project 8 at the highest sick difficulty rating. Yeah, And although those kind of godly Tony Hawk skills are long since dormant in me and running the game via emulation means it's perhaps not quite as sharp and performant as it might have been when I was playing it back, you know, on mod the actual hardware at the time, it's still a lot of fun. My memory of the game's specifics were a bit hazy because, for instance, I don't remember Jason fucking Lee featuring quite so heavily in the story. Like he's <laughs> in every cutscene, So it was definitely around that kind of like my name is Earl time that it was yeah. out. <laughs> But I'm having a blast kind of anyway, relearning combos, exploring, you know, the most the open world that this game presented. Secondly, for Tony Hawk, even more of a black sheep in the franchise, I've been playing Disney's Extreme Skate Adventure, which came out on the PlayStation 2 and the GameCube. Right. Never heard of it. I hadn't really until I saw it in a video recently. Like after Tony Hawk's 4, Neversoft farmed out his engine to another studio and they produced this skating tie-in for Disney. And you play as either Buzz or Woody or Tarzan or Pumbaa and you skate across film-themed <laughs> stages from the characters' respective movies. I want this. It's fun. It's good fun. Like, it's aimed at kids, so very few of the goals are particularly tough. But it's really interesting to be able to blast through something like this, a game that, like I said, I don't remember at all from its release. But because it was built on the Tony Hawk's 4 engine, feels as good as that game. Yeah, like, well, it would It's be, yeah. really, really odd. So it's simplified. You have nowhere near as many tricks to pull off and things. But... You are just playing Tony Hawk's, but as Woody. <laughs> I, I want, I want, yeah, I want to play that. I want to play that. This looks great. Finally, moving away from skateboarding, I've also been playing a weird hybrid genre piece on Steam called Brock the Investigator, and it is a point-and-click game that's been merged with a side-scrolling beat-em-up that I backed on Kickstarter two years ago, maybe. So I've been watching kind of updates just come in sort of every month or so to say how development was plodding along. And I backed it originally because I'd played the developer Cowcat Games' previous point-and-click game called Demetrios a very long time ago. And I saw some promise in there, even if it was really quite rough around the edges. But with Brock, it's quite startling how much more polished it is because this is a game that basically out of nowhere, if you haven't been following the Kickstarter, is fully professionally voice-acted, it's got really polished, natural writing that totally betrays that the developer is French. You know, he wrote the whole game and it's been tidied up and localised in a way which just, you know, is read really well. It's got consistent, well-drawn art now, especially compared to his earlier games, which were just a bit more lumpy, a bit more wonky, I guess. It's got really nice, interactable environments. And most impressively, moving between the sort of exploratory point-and-click sections and the hands-on action scenes, 
is pretty seamless. And the fighting, although not quite as polished as Streets of Rage 4, for example, it's really satisfying. And about the only thing that I think lets down the experience, at least at this early stage that I'm at, is that the AI occasionally feels a bit woolly and can be a bit brain dead in fights. But I'd say because the game is maybe 75% point and click adventure and 25% fighting, the brawling is rarely lasting long enough to really taint that experience. I'm pretty sure the game is destined for consoles eventually because all of his previous games have ended up on the Switch and the PlayStation and everything else. But playing it via the Steam Deck has also been great because it lets you transition between button controls for movement and fighting and then the trackpad as a mouse, you know, for really seamless exploration. So I've really enjoyed it. It's a surprising showcase again for how versatile this machine can be when it comes to input options because that was obviously not the intention when it was being developed, but it just fits so nicely. It's a real like seamless mix. So yeah, uh, a recommendation for Brock the Investigator. Brock the Investigator. Investigator, because he is an alligator. <laughs> right, gotcha. <laughs> Minty! So I have played some things. The thing that I have not played, sadly, is uh, Splatoon 3. Oh, that was I the... I missed oh. the... Yeah, the global test fire was oh, on Saturday. Minty. I was hoping but, for some opins. Yeah, yeah, me too. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to buy it, though, probably, because... It still looks very good, doesn't it? It still does look quite good. Top splats. Yeah. I completed Digimon Survive for the first <gasps> time. Where did your decisions lead you? I mean... Hell? Digi-hell? <laughs> yeah, sort of, actually. Oh, dear. That doesn't sound yeah. like a good outcome. So the three dialogue choices are divided up into uh, moral choices, wrathful choices, and harmony choices and i thought for my first playthrough i'm gonna do i'm gonna go the harmony routes i want everybody to get along well together i want everybody to be fast friends in this strange and sad mm-hmm. place that we found ourselves in look what happened to jeremy corbyn though well yeah yeah doesn't work cautionary tale indeed and uh, <laughs> yes. a modern yeah. parable for our times <laughs> I, I i got through the game and it was it was it was great um I beat the the master who was the final boss of the game. Didn't see Omnimon, which I was very pleased with because Omnimon has had its day. It's time for it to not be in a not be in a Digimon game. But the ending cutscene was not anticlimactic, more of a sort of a bleak portrayal of the future. Because at the end of the game, the human world and the digital world merged together, which I guess was the result of my harmonious uh, actions and my dialogue choices. The ending cutscene was just the main character being like, when the two worlds merged, some people soul bonded with some Digimon and others didn't. And then that meant that there was now more prejudice in the world between the people who didn't have a little dinosaur friend and those who did. So we have to we have to do what we can to stamp out intolerance and hate into the future. <laughs> the end. It was in keeping with sort of the the bleak and understated uh, uh, story, but I'm excited to see what the other dialogue branches do bring mm. us. And then when I did beat it, I was greeted with a single screen at the end of the game that simply said, if this character hadn't died, then perhaps more lives could have been saved. Oh dear. Which was real shitty of them, to be honest. I was convinced that people were dying for story reasons, and now I realise it's my bad choices that has led to several children dying. <laughs> like, That's the worst. I mean, just like Barack Obama ordering drone strikes on children and hospitals run by Doctors Without Borders, I feel zero remorse and I'm ready to do it all again. (laughs) (laughs) I 
did visit my my sister and their partner over the weekend, and they've got a PS4. So, of course, I took advantage of the fact that our bed was in the front room to indulge in the very best that the uh, the PS Plus subscription has to offer. Everybody's Tennis. Ooh, oh, is that the old PlayStation 2 version? Yes, yes. I can't quite comment on the quality of the game because we just loaded it up there and then. We had the two default characters um, unlocked. We had had several jars of sherbet. <laughs> So we weren't really clear on what the controls were, but we were just having a nice time like batting it back and forth to each other. From what we could see in the trailer, the game marketed itself as the, the simple tennis game that everybody could play. And we we, we pushed that to the limit, I do have to say. <laughs> what else have I been playing? Uh, Rubicon 2, which is a small level pack for Quake, has ah, just been released on consoles. Not as big a fan as I think everybody else on the internet is, apparently. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like since its release in 2011, it's been having rave reviews across the board. People have praised the, the level design, the new enemies. There was just, I don't know, there was just something about it that just didn't quite click for me. I've, I've beaten it and, uh, you know, it was, it was fun. It was Quake, but um, solid 7 out of 10, but just lacked something a little spicy for me. But there we go. Right. Are you ready for my final amendment? Absolutely not. I am. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> maybe You're if I not. go and brew a tea. <laughs> probably, probably. I know Chris took the piss last week and talked about two games um, to go in his list. So <laughs> what I'm about to do is frankly akin to slapping your elderly mum and spitting on her when it comes to being offensive because uh, brace yourselves, chaplains, I'm going to talk about six games. No. <laughs> it's appropriate that i've saved my biggest gaming discovery of the last three to four years for this final episode and that discovery is of course the extraordinary near faultless oeuvre of from software oh yeah yeah i've already found a nice little home for sekiro in my list and uh, I, i i needed that to have its own place because of how much of a departure it is from the rest of their work I've now played and completed Dark Souls 1, 2, 3, the incredibly faithful Demon Souls remake, Bloodborne, and of course Elden Ring. I'm going to touch on Bloodborne first quickly because it's, it's, it's not actually going to find a home in my list right now, which is a huge shame because of what an amazing game it is and how mind-blowing the design is in the game, how much of a brilliant evolution it is of the classic Souls setup, how stunning the boss battles are, how amazing and immediate the combat feels and all of the other brilliant things that impressed me about the game when I first played it. However, context is very important. The first From game I played was Dark Souls Remastered on the Switch, and uh, that was very much a port of the fully-fledged remaster version. It had scalable resolution, maxing out at 720p. Frame rate was locked at 30 frames per second with uh, occasional stutters. I then played Bloodborne, which is a PS4 game, 1080p HD, also locked at 30 frames per second, but honestly hitting more like 25 frames per second at an average, which might be a bit generous. It didn't bother me too much when I first played the game because it was about on a par with uh, you know, the performance of Dark Souls on the Switch. However, having then been really spoiled with 4K 60 frames per second experiences in Dark Souls 3 and Elden Ring, when I came back to Bloodborne fairly recently, I found the performance of it just a real barrier. The lower resolution and stuttery frame rate made the precise swift combat feel just really unpleasant and chaotic. The resolution variation across the game's assets made the art design look 
more messy than anything else, quite hard to navigate at times. And you know that I'm not one to favour technical specs over gameplay, but when the technical specs affect the gameplay, then I've got a bit of an issue. And it's a shame when the industry takes great leaps forward because it can really take the shine off older games that you used to love. Like I couldn't go back to playing one of the first-person games on the Game Boy Advance now. X versus Sever? X versus Sever would not even pass as a gaming experience now. But at the time, <laughs> I was loving it. I loved the fact that there was a 3D world in my hand because I, I didn't know any better. So unfortunately, until Bloodborne gets a facelift or a remake, I, I think it's going to remain outside my list for now. And I cannot tell you how much I'd love to see it. Just just get a frame rate patch to run at 60 frames per second. Yeah. I think everything else would then be all right, to be honest. But there we go. Demon Souls, also not going on my list. But that's not because <laughs> it's not a great game. It was fantastic to play the remake on the PS5. Really beautiful experience. Great showcase for the new generation of hardware. Flawless frame rate and resolution performance. Zero load times between deaths and loading areas, which is something you obviously experience a lot of. And so that was really noticeable that it wasn't there. However, there's nothing in Demon's Souls that isn't done substantially better in the Dark Souls games. It is very much the foundation that everything was built on following it from From Software. A lot of the technical design of the game was probably compromised by the technical limitations of the PS3. So when viewed through a modern lens, the stage-based levels aren't as compelling as the sprawling, interconnected and open worlds of the Dark Souls games. Lots of ideas that have been developed further, like managing your inventory, weapon upgrades, health management, magic, even the co-op play. It was visionary at the time and has continued to improve with the games that came after it. So, Dark Souls. It took me a while to get into it because I was fiercely holding on to my philosophy of uh, you shouldn't have to not enjoy the first 10 hours of a game to then enjoy the subsequent 30. But also that first few hours in the game is is what I needed just to get my head around the concept of what Dark Souls was, was doing. This like live, die, repeat game loop that I hadn't experienced before took some learning. Even like the shoulder button based combat took me a while to get used to after initially trying to remap the buttons to match a Zelda game like a <laughs> fool. I was genuinely blown away by how well you took to the first part of the game, Minty. Like you did it in about a quarter of the time that it took me. Hmm. And the game didn't really click until I had someone to talk with to guide me through the game, which was my friend Steve. He gave me words of encouragement, little guiding points to help ease me into the game. He even sat with me, I think, a couple of times to hold my hand while I got my head around, you know, just how to tackle the game. But once it got its hooks in me, I was obviously absolutely obsessed. It fit the pickup and playability of the Switch so, so well. The incredibly addictive gameplay loop of failing and learning doing the death run to pick up your dropped souls, trying to push a bit further, try something new this time. That loop, it is absolute genius. It's an incredible way to construct a game. And it was really useful to be able to play it in short bursts that the Switch lends itself to really, really well. And then, like, once I'd just opened myself up to the fact that this was a game that didn't play like Zelda, which, I mean, it's very me. It's very me, that sort of thing, just to have an idea in my head of what a game should be and then be like, this is doing something different. I don't like it. <laughs> But once I had just kind of gone, actually, this is another way to play a game. How fun. I was then free to lose myself in this world, slowly uncover the piecemeal lore through reading item descriptions, getting a sense of the atmosphere and history of these different areas that I was crawling through, being absolutely overwhelmed by every single boss that I came up against, having my breath taken away by their design, their size and their power, slowly learning their movement patterns, finding gaps in their strategy that I could exploit and eventually 
overcoming them with a sense of victory and satisfaction I'd never felt before in a video game. I've always liked games with fairly straightforward concepts that then do a lot with that concept. And, and Dark Souls really is that. It, it's, it's quite a big concept in terms of like the structure of the game, which is why its concept is now a genre of its own. But like, like the concept of like a Metroidvania, it's quite a straightforward concept. And then all of these other games using this structure can build and evolve on top of that. And like I said, when I got my head around Dark Souls and, and even better than, you know, enjoyed it, I felt like I'd opened the door to just a whole other world of gaming. And the sense of accomplishment from beating Dark Souls that first time was so huge that I, I didn't even blink before starting New Game Plus, playing through it all again. I, I think I probably did half the game in one sitting just straight away because I was just on such like an adrenaline rush. And then I remembered that I had Bloodborne sat there on the PS4 and I hadn't really understood it when I bought it. But now, very, very different matter. As I said, I had a fantastic time playing Bloodborne. And then I had to decide whether to play Dark Souls 2 or Dark Souls 3 next, because obviously I bought them both. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Probably whilst I still wasn't enjoying Dark Souls 1, I bought the other two. I'd do that. <laughs> I know, I know you would. I made the logical choice of starting Dark Souls 2. But I also knew that what I was playing was the PS4 remaster enhanced version, which was subtitled Scholar of the First Sin, which uh, had also added more difficulty into the game since its vanilla release. And I was acutely aware of that when I made a start on it. It wasn't long before it felt like the game was throwing enemies at me without much design. Like they thought, oh, this, this section is a bit too easy. Let's just put six more of that enemy there. Like you weren't able to apply strategy to these encounters the way you could in Dark Souls 1. And I was a little put off, especially as I knew Miyazaki hadn't been involved in this game because he was busy making Bloodborne. So my first impression of Dark Souls 2 was that it was uh, a bit of a letdown, like the disappointing second album. <laughs> and I decided to put it down and take Dark Souls 3 for a proper world. And the brilliant thing about the way the stories work in these games is they are just so open, organic, and also so vague that it doesn't really matter what order you do them in. I was expecting good things from this uh, because this was first and foremost developed for the PS4 rather than like an upgraded PS3 game like Dark Souls 2. So I knew it was going to have like a next generation feel to it. I knew Miyazaki was firmly at the helm this time. So I really was expecting to see like a generational shift to its design, its scope, and its scale. And... Boy, oh boy, <laughs> it is that. <laughs> Dark Souls 3 is like the best example of a majestic game. Everything about it is just sweeping and glorious, epic and magnificent, gloomy and gorgeous, overwhelming, but inviting. It's dripping in stunning detail in every single pixel. The combat never felt better. The breadth of options available to you, depending on what weapon you favour, what magic you may want to use, what sort of armour build you want to go for. It's so versatile to cater to anyone who wants just the most incredible adventure. I absolutely fell in love with Dark Souls 3. I think that the original Dark Souls has become something like comfort food for me now. I've played through it a handful of times. But if, if Dark Souls 1 is comfort food, Dark Souls 3 is like the most decadent, towering dessert that you are... <laughs> So glad to have gorged yourself on, you feel sick and exhausted on the other side of it, and you're torn between wanting it every day of the rest of your life over and over again until you become so spherical that you're riddled with bed sores, or never wanting to see it again as long as you live, whilst also constantly regretting that you didn't take the first option. I've lost my place. 
I'm also quite hungry. <laughs> <laughs> the original Dark Souls doesn't scare me when I start it again. I'm excited. I feel like it's knowable to me now. Like I've got the upper hand. When I restarted Dark Souls 3, again, fairly recently, I was terrified. Like once again, daunted at every single area. I remembered a fair amount of where like certain items were hidden and where enemies were going to spring from. But I mean, goodness me, it's still just such an overwhelming beast. But I also really want to play it. I'm deliberately not talking about certain elements in the game to save some of these wonderful experiences for whoever hasn't played it yet. I could easily talk about the specific boss fights that were most iconic or the ones that gave me the most difficulty. Maybe I'll do a spoiler special bonus episode on that one day. I'm also not talking about the stories of the games as well because piecing those together from what you find in your own unique playthrough is one of the things that makes it such a thrillingly personal adventure. There'll be whole swathes of lore that I won't discover in a playthrough that might cast certain events or characters in a very different light. I might find them on a second or third playthrough. I might never find them. It's such wonderful game design and shows an incredible intelligence and wisdom on the part of From Software to put trust in the player, to meet them halfway to create an adventure together. And by doing that, you're making something that touches each gamer differently and with more power. And bringing people together is also part of what makes these games special. You feel so alone in these worlds, so isolated and vulnerable. Most things you meet want to kill you and have the power to do so very, very easily. The few people you meet who aren't antagonistic are always just really weird and just slightly <laughs> unnerving to the point that you often feel you'd actually rather just be alone. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but the shining light in the darkness is the summoning system, which is present in all the Dark Souls games, Bloodborne, Demon Souls, whereby if you're struggling or you're suffering too much, you can call on somebody else who's playing the game to join you and help you through a section of the game. Usually, you know, a boss fight, but it could also be an area of the game as well. And that sense of reassurance you get when you have somebody fighting at your side, that renewed sense of confidence, that does as much for your fighting skills as having an extra pair of hands does. But there's always a risk. If you open yourself up to summoning friendly players to aid you, you're also then open to being invaded by unfriendly players looking to fight you, steal your souls. There's always an incredibly fine balance in these games between failure and success, light and dark, life and death, and learning how to keep yourself on the right side of this line is what makes these games just so rewarding to play. Dark Souls 3 blew me away. I think it is a better game than the first Dark Souls, but there's also something about the familiarity of the first game and a personal connection to it that means it's it's very, very hard for, for me to quantify them both, really. And then there's Dark Souls 2. I was never going to write it off, not when I was on such a roll playing through From's catalogue. At some point in these experiences, Sekiro came out. I attacked that with a ferocious fervor that <laughs> saw me fail at the final hurdle in that game uh, at that instance. Obviously, I was thrilled that I managed to find my way back to the game earlier this year on the Steam Deck. And you'll know from listening to that run of episodes that I pretty much got a handle on the game in the end. Yeah, I'd say so. But Dark Souls 2 was sat there. I, I, I knew I'd probably come back to it at some point. Like when I finish a Souls-like game, I, I usually feel pretty drained, but also buzzing. And I'm torn between diving straight into a new one, back into the same one in like New Game Plus, or never wanting to play one again. And I came to Dark Souls 2 at a very strange, entirely unprecedented time in my life. When my daughter was born, we were deep in a lockdown in a global pandemic. We were in a, a very, very new setup. We were totally on our own. We weren't allowed to have friends or family over to help us navigate these mind-blowing new like part of our lives. It was very much a moment of intense teamwork. 
on behalf of my wife and I. I still don't know how my wife's instincts were so incredible. I was asking her at every turn what I should be doing with every element of looking after this baby. Does she need feeding? Is she too cold? Is she too warm? How should I clean her? What type of nappies do I need? Fortunately, Sammy had answers to all these questions, but no one ever gave her those answers. She was just an extraordinary force of motherhood, of parenting. She's never been anything other than a, a paragon of person in every sense when it's come to being the best parent in Aura. So when I say we were figuring it out together, for a long time it was Sammy figuring it out and me being confident that she was right. <laughs> now, in the early days, the big thing to figure out was sleeping. Nora had no trouble sleeping if she was on us, lying on our chest or in a sling, no problem whatsoever. Now, unfortunately for us, it's not safe for us to be asleep when she's asleep on us, in case we roll over or, in my case, have a night terror, think she's like a goblin trying to attack me or something. Yeah. So me and Zami took to working in shifts. We'd have a couple of hours each day when we'd both be awake, but we really were like ships passing in the night, except we didn't pass in the night because uh, the night was my shift. And uh, it, it, it's difficult to stay awake at night. So I was chain drinking coffee and Red Bull every hour whilst Nora slept on me, gently waking her up every three hours to give her a bottle of expressed milk. And she would generally fall back to sleep again. And I'd do that a couple more times, go and wake Sammy up, go to bed, sleep, wake up, repeat. Now, obviously, at this point in my life, when I felt very isolated, looking increasingly hollowed, exhausted, <laughs> facing the most overwhelming challenge in my life. I knew the best way to make all of that better was to finally play Dark Souls 2. Naturally. And Nora was wonderful company for the return to this game. And it was actually exactly what I needed. Something to keep my senses sharp, whilst also something to get lost in, have a bit of escapism while the world was seemingly falling apart just outside our front door. And it's true that there were these elements in Dark Souls 2 that I wasn't too keen on, especially what they did with you know, shaking enemies up to give more of a challenge. But now I don't really remember any of that. What I do remember is a, a, just a beautiful, expansive world that felt actually more organic than anything in Dark Souls or Dark Souls 3. I saw someone saying recently that Elden Ring is Dark Souls 2 too. <laughs> and you can certainly see a lot of elements that have been taken on in Elden Ring, developed further and made obviously quite extraordinary. But I was, I was so glad to have the opportunity to play Dark Souls 2. It was my nighttime routine, my bonding time with Nora, which was such an important thing to have, especially for, you know, dads. And especially like in those early months when babies don't, they don't really give anything back. They're fairly, they can't really do anything. They're fairly helpless and they just need to be looked after and cared for. And dads typically haven't had that biological connection that the mum has had carrying them for nine months. So having Nora in the sling sleeping on me, I wasn't even necessarily aware of the bond that was being built, but it really, really was. And I, I, I now I, I miss having her in the sling, like taking her to meetings in my office or keeping me company whilst I make my way through Dark Souls. <laughs> I was really pleasantly surprised by Dark Souls 2. It is surprisingly different to 1 and 3. And for that reason, it, it, it's a really worthwhile entry in the series. And I'm so glad that all three games exist. I wouldn't trade any one for any of the others. I'm also really, really glad that they got a collective release on PS4 as the Dark Souls trilogy. Uh, so I don't need to worry about ranking them individually. Oh, Jonathan Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I know that I'm going to be pressed to. So if I were to rank them within the same entry, it would probably be Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 3. Not telling you if that's in ascending or descending order. <laughs> I don't think that a subgenre of games has taken hold of me in the way that Souls-like games have. I've said throughout this season that it's mad to think of a time when Souls-like games didn't define me as a gamer. Yet that's what the entire show was up until this season. And I still don't know exactly what it is about these games that makes them resonate with me so much. I could probably pull some extraordinary psychological parallel between my struggles with mental health disorders and facing off against giant demons of darkness that seem insurmountable, but through courage and determination and embracing failure, you can find a way to overcome them and emerge the other side stronger and closer to the light. But I'll leave the existential gaming reflections to Jean-Paul Christopher over here. <laughs> and uh, for when you talk about Microsoft Paint or something another day, I don't know. <laughs> it is my MO. So where is it going in my list? It's not just a point of principle to say that the From Software original Souls games are the best example of this subgenre. And the Dark Souls trilogy is going right near the very top of my list. Near? Just... Below Half-Life 2. Oh, and number two. Maybe, maybe in time, the Dark Souls games will pip Half-Life 2. But the personal history and experience I have with Half-Life 2 is, is still too profound. It's too, it's too long. It's too long a relationship to not mean more to me. Mad. But if you can count, you realise I've only talked about five of a promised six games. And that's because From Software have made a better example of the Souls-like subgenre, and that's by taking everything that has made each one of the games incredible, putting it together and elevating it to a point of transcendence in Elden Ring. Oh. Oh. I'm not going to cover all the reasons why, because I spent most of this season doing that, but <laughs> saying that it's the best example of the genre, it's the best work that From Software have made, it's the best video game ever made. Number one! <laughs> I knew it when I was playing it I knew it when I wasn't playing it and I knew it when I played it all again it is with greatest pride and deepest respect that Elden Ring has shotgunned its way past every other video game I've ever played to sit in its rightful place on the throne as Elden Lord <laughs> it's my favourite game ever made Jesus wow Thankfully, I've only actually taken up two places in my list, which means I haven't had to think of six games to throw in the bin. <laughs> I'm actually going to be both controversial and cyclical with the games that I've chosen to get rid of today, though. And uh, I'll start this process by reminding you that these are the games that we love the most, the games that mean the most to us personally. So games that we don't have a personal connection to may be objectively better than other games, but they may find themselves being jettisoned. It doesn't make them any less worthy of praise. And the method I've taken this season is to think of my top 100 list as a self-portrait and thinking about the games to keep versus the games to lose. It's all about which games define me best. So I'm taking out The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. <laughs> because even though it's an exceptional game... It's the Zelda game I have the least personal connection to. I think I've only played it once. And of the Zelda games that are on my list, it's it's there's a lot of Zelda games on it's my list. Zelda, isn't it? You haven't played a single <laughs> fucking one. <laughs> and yet there's three of them in my list. Somehow. Somehow. If that's ridiculous. A Link to the Past is an absolute masterpiece. I didn't come from a household with a SNES. 
I didn't play it until much, much, much later. I didn't have friends playing it. In school, our group of friends, we'd talk more about Link's Awakening and then Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and Wind Waker. I think it's brilliant. It's sacrilege. It's sacrilege to take A Link to the Past out of a top 100 games list. I know that, but that is unfortunately what I'm doing today. And I'm sorry. To bring things full circle, the second game that I'm going to take out is actually going to be the game that I first put in my amendments. Uh, and that's Forza Horizon 4. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, we are uh, all over the place today. I know. I love the game, but I think I love the idea of the game more than what I've actually played. It's, it's, a fa- it's a wonderful game. I haven't put enough time into it, I don't think. It's, it's definitely on my list of games to play on my Steam Deck and, uh, and properly experience and it may well find its way back onto my list at some point later down the line. But also, when I put Forza Horizon 4 on my list, I hadn't played Elden Ring. So it only makes sense that an amendment amendment must make an amendment amended. <laughs> and therein lies my amended list. Dark Souls Trilogy is sitting at number three. The Extraordinary Half-Life 2 is sitting at number two. And Elden Ring is reigning supreme at number one. And to think, if that game gets DLC, it could be even better. And then I'm just going to have to, I don't know, build a cloud for it to sit on. You can just float above the list entirely because I can't see how anything can get any better ever. And yet. Sonic Frontiers is still to come. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah, for sure. What a ride. <laughs> what a ride this, this season's been in particular. Because I think it's felt quite different in that our top hundreds... We had ideas of the games each other liked, but mm. even, you know, for someone I've known as long as you, Jonathan, I didn't know every game you'd ever played. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's a long old time. And, yeah. and for someone like you, Minty, that I was essentially getting to know as we were doing it, I had no idea what your tastes were really, other than I knew that you played Splatoon, Mario Maker and quite like Zelda. That was, that was the extent <laughs> yeah, of what yeah. I was going on. So when we got to doing these amendments, it was thinking far more broadly as in, okay, this is stuff I've listened to you talk about almost live mm. as you're picking these games up. So you always had this inkling that it's like, oh, he does like Dark Souls, doesn't he, Jonathan? He has, <laughs> he has enjoyed Dark Souls. And in the same way with you, Minty, as, as we moved on to say, like, I think he's quite a fan of that, that Digimon game, isn't he? <laughs> like all, all these games that we've come to love that we've been able to talk to each other about kind of in real time and then to watch them displace these games and watch them find their kind of new positions in this list. It's just been really exciting. Mm. I'm going to have to put Skyward Sword into my list to counterbalance the sacrilege of taking <laughs> out Link to the past. Oh. If your heart sits right with that. It does not. <laughs> it would have been different if Chris had played it and had it in his list and me taking it out meant that it was no longer O3C approved. I wouldn't have done it. Okay. So it's Chris's fault. <laughs> yeah. Is basically what's happened here. Yes, you're absolutely mm, right, yeah. Mency. Yeah, with that independently reached decision there. <laughs> yes, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> so, there we go. That was my final amendment in bracket S. It was the singular Dark Souls trilogy and, of course, Elden Ring. <laughs> I think is the right sound there. That's a dictionary approved adjective there's still more to come don't worry there's still more to come because next week we are going to be doing a final appraisal of our top 100 lists 
we're going to be solidifying the ranking we're going to be talking about honorable mentions the things that almost were amended and then weren't like forza horizon 4 that would probably be <laughs> an honorable mention yeah. now all of that is to look forward to so do stay tuned if you've enjoyed this episode or you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do share the podcast on your social media platforms and engage with us on ours we are at o3c games on everything check out our website o3c.games there's loads of great stuff on there check out our patreon page patreon.com slash o3c games we'd really appreciate your support in continuing this show beyond the end of this season you can reach out to us individually as well i'm on twitter at jonathan dunn i am forever at chaz underscore hodges and i'm clement underscore boo and please do join us next week where we will be finalizing our top 100 favorite video games of all time lists of all time lists for now of all time for now lists maybe for now and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor need some adventure in your life what mad universe is a podcast where two guys delve into the history of sci-fi fantasy and horror and the impact it's had on pop culture everything's the same politically but we have ray guns the the actual motive isn't to explore something that's quote yeah. scientifically possible or but neither is star wars and i know there's <sighs> arguments about that but i would definitely consider star wars science fiction you haven't it's, read dune you have, no i haven't you can never be the quizat tetarak what mad universe on the HyperX podcast network us we're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. The Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but so the changed meaning in Japanese it means to temper. Other times, we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Check us out at the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello fans! As part of the HyperX Podcast Network, we're letting you know that this year is HyperX's 20th birthday. To celebrate, they're offering some great deals on their award-winning gaming gear. If you're in the market for a new headset, a new microphone, blue light, blocking eyewear, or any number of other high... Head on over to HyperX20.com to check out all of their birthday deals. Once again, check out the HyperX 20th birthday sale over at HyperX.com. <laughs>